Welcome to Housing Development. I'm Jerry Howard. And I'm Jim Tobin. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Jim. Listen, at the outset here, let's give a shout out to our great sponsor, Wells Fargo. Uh, they do so much for NEHB and so much for the industry. Uh, we thank them very much and encourage all of our listeners to consider using Wells Fargo as part of your financing package. Uh, thanks, Wells Fargo. We appreciate it very much. Great to have you back. You took last week off. Uh, Paul could not wait to get in front of the microphone, um, but he did a good job. He did a really good job. Well, uh, even every once in a while, even Ed McMahon had to uh, let Doc Severinsen uh, sit in the chair again next to Johnny. So uh, I'm glad Paul acquitted himself well. Well, as Johnny would say to to Ed, just remember, Doc ultimately took his place. Um, anyway, <laughs> great to uh, to be getting ready, Jim, finally to go to an IBS. Finally. Uh, we're recording this on a Tuesday, and you and I go down to Orlando on Thursday. Um, looking forward to seeing so many of our friends that we haven't seen in, in so long. So, but before yeah. we go, Jim, um, what's going on in Washington? Is there anything that our listeners need to be apprised of that uh, moving quickly? Yeah, you know, a, a couple things. Uh, you know, the Democrats are trying to to to, uh, to refine their footing after uh, the Build Back Better plan. Uh, has essentially uh, imploded. Uh, there's really no path forward for that in its its its, uh, its former form, I will say. Uh, chance that it gets broken up in a in a in a little in smaller pieces. Uh, but even Joe Manchin has said, "Yeah, no one's really shown me anything yet, so I'm not really focused on it." So um, the 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 moderate Democrats who really think their their election hopes uh, are in real jeopardy in, uh, in 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 November of this year. Are pushing something called the America Competes Act. Uh, it's going to deal with supply chain issues, shipping a variety of different things, uh, chip manufacturing, trying to compete with China. So that's really moving uh, in the House over the next couple of days. Uh, we'll see where it goes. The Senate's already moved its its uh, its version of it. So, uh, like anything in a divided Congress, it it, it could face a, a long slow death, or maybe something uh, you know comes together in a, on a bipartisan matter. I think everybody would like to see something. Get done on the supply chain. I know our members do. Uh, you know, really are facing supply chain and affordability issues. So uh, we're tracking that uh, here this week. And let's talk a little bit before we bring in our guest uh, about uh, the forthcoming elections. What are you hearing uh, about about that? And and just as importantly, I don't think it's too early to start talking about 2024 and the presidential election. I'm starting to hear. Uh, from people around the country uh, about potential presidential bids, and what about yourself? Yeah, I, I think you know from the from the president. I, we're, I, I think I give it uh, you know inside probably about a year from now we'll start seeing uh, presidential candidates uh, stretch out and and start explore, uh, starting exploratory committees and making waves. We'll, we'll have just gotten past the midterms where anybody who's anybody who wants to be a presidential nominee, certainly on the Republican side. Is going to be working overtime to, uh, to help any candidate they can uh, uh, get reelected or or elected to Congress. And uh, I, uh, you know, a couple of candidates we've talked about in the past: current governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan; uh, Governor Ron DeSantis from Florida; uh, Governor Christy Nome from South Dakota. Uh, one one of your favorites, former Governor of South Carolina Nikki Haley. I expect she'll be uh, she'll be out and about. Uh, so it's going to be a wide open field. 
But of course, everybody's eyes are on uh, on uh, Mar-a-Lago and former President Trump and, and whether or not he gets into the race. Uh, and, and he's kind of uh, the, the lead dog. It seems like every poll you read, most Republicans favor Donald Trump to get in, uh, but not, you know, it's still a plurality. I think people may, maybe want some new blood, maybe worried uh, that, uh, that he can't beat Biden again. And that's even if Joe Biden runs again, that's still up in the air too, even though the president is, uh, has said publicly he's going to, he's going to run. So it's going to be a really fun next, uh, next year or two. Well, that's what I wanted to touch on real quickly. You, you, you talked about a lot of the Republican candidates, and I'm sure it's a pure coincidence that uh, Governor Hogan and quite possibly Governor DeSantis are coming to the IBS. Uh, we'll see how that all plays out in the next week or so. But on the Democratic side, here in Washington, obviously, where um, the presidential uh, 24 presidential election uh, contest started the day after the election in 20, uh, and, and is moving to the front burner now. You, you keep hearing on the Democratic side that the polling is so bad for President Biden and even worse for Vice President Harris that there could be a shakeup at the top at the top of that ticket and at the vice presidency. Now that it has hardly, if ever, happened as far as I can remember. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think if if President Biden. Uh, decides to run in 2024, I think Kamala Harris stays on the ticket. I think, like you said, it, it's it's rare, if ever. I'm sure it has happened. Um, but but boy, talk about you know changing midstream. That that team won. They won. Uh, they beat President Trump by a lot of popular vote. They they beat him fairly handily in the uh, in the in the, the electoral college. You know, flipping Arizona and uh, and Georgia to deep red states for a long time, and then of course. Pennsylvania, Michigan, and and and, uh, and Wisconsin, uh, which seemed to whipsaw back and forth between Democrat and Republican. So that ticket just won. Uh, you mentioned the headwinds. That's going to be the biggest challenge. Does, does America have uh, the, the interest in reelecting that pair? Uh, you know, after four years of you know this year, supply chain, inflation, uh, will, will remains to be seen. I don't think we'll see a change uh, for for Kamala Harris who decides to run. The real question, I think, is if Joe Biden does not decide to run, is Kamala Harris uh, the heir apparent? Usually the vice president is. Uh, we saw that with Al Gore uh, last time, uh, but he had a primary challenge. I suspect that he will be primary, vice president Harris will be primary. Uh, and the name that keeps popping up is Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. Uh, people seem to really like him. He was already a candidate uh, last time around for the nomination. So. Uh, a lot of Palestine, a lot of Palestine. Well, it's going to be interesting, and I think it's a subject that we're going to be talking a lot more about uh, through the course of this summer and, and obviously uh, as we get into, into next year. But for now, um, what I'd like to do, Jim, is bring in our guest. Our guest is Mr. Ken Pinto, who's the author of a new book, How Much is the Milk?, which deals with supply chain issues. Uh, let's bring Ken in right now. Ken, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I love talking about supply chain management, and boy, this is a great time to be doing it. Well, you've written a book, right? And, and, and the book capitalizes on your, what, over 20 years uh, in supply chain management, right? Yeah, I spent 20 years first in commercial construction, and then I came into production home building and was 
little confused as to why we were using lump sum turnkey contracts. And here, here was, you know, a, a purchasing manager was responsible for $80 million a year versus for labor and materials. And he didn't know how much he was paying for a sheet of drywall or a sink or a front door. And I just thought that was the strangest thing. And so I thought, well, I'm going to get out of construction operations. I'm going to go into supply chain management, fix that, because I found it as a limiting factor to how much I could improve construction operations. And then I would go back into construction ops. I underestimated how big of a project it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, well, tell us about that. Um, why was it such a big project and, and what did you learn from it? You know, we're an industry unhindered by progress. You know, we, if you think about it, building materials get to the job site the same way today as they did 70 years ago. There really hasn't been much improvement. And, uh, and, and you know, I, when I was a teenager doing construction, I was working for companies who we knew all of our costs because we bought all of the materials. And our employees, we didn't subcontract anything. All the, all the workers were employees of the, of the general contractor. And, and that changed in the 80s with the big housing boom. We had to get away from uh, that type of business model and go to something more efficient, which was have subcontractors uh, be, the, be the subject matter experts and to manage materials for us. That was both good and bad. Good in that, you know, a guy who's doing 4,000 HVAC systems a year could be more efficient than the builder who's doing 200 houses a year. The builders lost the core competency of managing materials, watching the prices at the unit price level, and understanding where they're coming from. And it's funny, you can, you can go to a job site today, go up to the superintendent and ask him where his materials are coming from. And oftentimes they just don't know. They just kind of show up, you know, a truck came and dropped them off and we don't really know where they came from. And so my, I'm a proponent of, of knowing, you know, having visibility to all of your SKUs, quantities, pricing that you're paying, so that you can be more involved in the process. And when you get more involved, that, that leads to changing to more collaborative negotiated contracts where we work to it. And then, you know, the magic happens when we start asking each other the right questions. And, you know, I, I repeat throughout my book, listening lowers costs when you're asking the right questions. And one of those questions I found were helpful to create this, to start that conversation is, what is it we do that costs you money? And oh boy, did I get an earful from subcontractors, distributors, manufacturers. Oh my gosh, they were ready to talk. And the more, the more you ask, the more details you get. And I discovered how to be a better customer. Now, let me ask you this, switching gears a little bit um, to potentially some advice you can give Jim and I as public policy advocates. What's the problem with the supply chain today? How can it be fixed? What has to be done at, uh, at, at the legislative or regulatory level to, to fix the supply chain? I'm thinking of a way to answer that question in less than three hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the problem with the supply chain is that there's a lot of problems with the supply chain, not just one, right? So there, there are quite a few, which has been exasperated by um, a, sh a shutdown. You know, we had a virus come through best defense against it was to shut things down without shutting down our buying habits. Um, so our buying habits increased, we shut down our companies and left a big gap. And that goes all the way across the world where a lot of, you know, today, a lot of our manufacturers are using raw materials and or components 
sourced from low-cost countries in Asia, and they have the same problems that we do. Some of them take a more aggressive approach to shutting down the economies than we do, uh, which hinders our ability to get those products. I'm grateful that uh, we're now seeing that the uh, Long Beach and Los Angeles ports are going to start running a third shift. They've only been running two shifts past uh, several couple of decades, and uh, when and that comes up to full speed, it's going to increase the capacity, although there's another bottleneck, right? So right, once you get your ship unloaded into Long Beach, now you need a set of axles to put underneath it. There's a shortage of those axles. And you need a place to store it. And there's a shortage on storage space. And then you need a trucker to truck it out. And there's a shortage of trucks and truck drivers. So we've, we've you know, put in a lot of laws in place over the past two decades for truck drivers that have uh, reduced their uh, production capacity, and that was done through legislation. Um, so, you know, we can pat ourselves on the back about what a great job we did. Now they get to rest. Uh, now they can't work the overtime hours that they wanted, you know, if that they wanted to. So there's, there's limitations there that was done by legislation. There's not enough people in school going in, in supply chain management programs. First of all, there aren't enough supply chain management programs. So, you know, the kids just aren't, aren't going to learn supply chain management. Oh boy, do we need them? I mean, the schools just aren't putting them out fast enough. We need more, and uh, is you know it's a pretty high-paying opportunity. And uh, it, you know, before this crisis, it was a great opportunity, and afterwards, I think you know there's supply chain managers are badly needed. So I'd love to see our universities making some changes, and uh, that we see more programs being offered, and more universities operating operating uh, using construction management degree programs and supply chain programs. So ships, trucks, truck drivers, supply chain managers, that's four pieces of the puzzle that will help a lot. And, and, and I would also say, you know, if we could talk to those who, who make laws, please don't shut down the economy without a recession. Those two things have to go together. And in your book, uh, How Much is the Milk, will help the small builders understand how to approach this dynamic and and how to implement it in their business? Yes, step by step. There's one section in there where I just go through a step by step process of teaching them what to do. And so I think there's a lot of meat on the bone in the book, and, and there's something for everybody in there. And I, it's certainly not to exclude anyone by size of their business. Well, that's terrific. Well, Ken, you'll be giving a, uh, a, a talk at the IBS. Uh, hopefully, we, we will, uh, uh, a lot of our builders will take advantage of your expertise there and, and learn what they can from you. And, and hopefully our, our, our listeners will buy the book if they're not going to be at IBS. Uh, it sounds like you've got the key to reducing costs, increasing efficiency, and at a time when housing affordability is such an issue, uh, those two elements have got to be top of mind for virtually all of our builders. Uh, Ken, I look forward to seeing you at the IBS and, and thanks for being here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks. We'll see you there. Jim, that was a pretty interesting discussion. Uh, Ken seems to be a guy that if I were a builder, I'd certainly want to attend his session at IBS. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed his talk, especially with supply chain issues and affordability being high on our, our, uh, our members' minds right now. I expect that we'll have a lot of conversations over the next week at IBS. So, uh, you know, for those of you listening ahead of time, make sure you sign up uh, for Ken Pinto's uh, talk at IBS. I think you're going to find it fascinating. Um, and, 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 you know, while we're uh, 
we're getting ready to go. Uh, I, I want to once again thank Wells Fargo Home Mortgage for the sponsorship of the Housing Developments Podcast uh, and encourage our members to do business with, with Wells. Uh, they're a great partner for us at NAHB, and, uh, and certainly we couldn't do what we do with this podcast. So uh, with that, Jerry, uh, I will uh, look forward to seeing you at the airport on Thursday, and we're ready for a great week in Orlando. I will see you then, Jim, and we hope to see everybody down there. Travel safely. Be safe. Thank you.